0: welcome back to the show i'm ryan gatenby and excited to talk to my next guest who has written one of the most anticipated young adult books of the year it is part of the rick riordan present series the book is the spirit glass it is now available where books are sold and we are going to visit with roshni chakshi and good morning welcome to the show thank you for joining me today
1: good morning thank you so much for having me
0: how are you how are things going where you are
1: Oh gosh, how are things going where I am? Well, I've got a three month old, so I don't sleep. Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> but the things are wonderful. They're wonderful, joyous, chaotic, and um, yeah, that's really it. Well, congratulations
0: on a three month old. So you're still writing Thank you've you. got a you've got a baby, and you're doing press. Yeah, that seems like that that's enough already.
1: Yeah, it was funny when you, you were mentioning like a, having a good, clean phone line, and I here I am considering hiding in my closet because I, every single time my girl gets a glimpse of me, she's like, "Well, how come you're not feeding me?" And then I have to
0: run. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that's all right. For yeah, about a couple of years when I was doing the show, I had my daughter crying in the in the background at least once or twice during the program. So, no worries. <laughs> But um, let's talk about the book, *The Spirit Glass*. And uh, can you just share with us uh, briefly what it's about?
1: Sure. It's a well. It's my first standalone middle grade novel, so not a series. This one is wholly contained in itself. It's a story that celebrates a lot of Filipino mythology and folklore, and but at its heart, it's a ghost story. You know, it's about mirrors and secrets that have been left buried for too long. And ultimately, it's a story about how recognizing what's right in front of you can save you from the thing that's standing right behind you.
0: Ooh, I love that. Now, I have, we, we talk to a lot of authors. They will do a series, work in uh, a standalone novel, continue with the series. Is, is there something specific or something different you do when you want to write a standalone novel? Are you kind of clearing your head of, of the characters you've been living with to create a new one?
1: That's a great question. You know, I, I often find that whether or not, I, whatever book I'm writing, even if it's with standalone or if it's tied to the series, I'm asking myself a question ultimately, and I'm seeing how long it takes for me to get to the bottom of it and, and to answer it. For Shah, I needed five books to really engage with that question. But for The Spirit Glass, despite how heavy the book itself is um, and its themes and that sort of thing, the question was a bit of a palate cleanser, right? It was it was just a shorter shorter question, and it didn't need a whole lot of pages to answer it.
0: So, when you are planning a, a standalone novel in a series, you know you you have more of an opportunity for for character growth. If you've left you know some element slightly unfinished in in a series, you can add to it in the next one. When you're going into this as an idea of a standalone book in which I don't have to know anything about you or the characters to enjoy this. Do you feel like you need to write it with more of a, a sense of closure?
1: Oh yeah. And you know, it's, it's really, really rewarding because I often find that for all of my novels, it's an act of reverse engineering. I know how the story ends. I need to figure out how to get there, but the biggest challenge, especially with a standalone is making sure that the emotion is really, really there from page one. Um, Because we can talk about how great world building is and the research that goes into a novel. Sure. And the interesting sentences and that sort of thing. But what really makes a story worth reading and worth knowing is how much it makes you feel. And so that's the biggest challenge for me when a story is self-contained. It needs to, no frills, emotion from the start.
0: Oh, absolutely. If, if this is my first and, and perhaps only opportunity to get to know the character. Yeah. It, it's easy if, if you're writing something to kind of get lost in the details of, a fantasy and magic. But we see here your, uh, your main character uh, goes through, you know, quite a bit of uh, emotional growth. And I think that's where, you know, you find the, the what, what's relatable. You kind of find uh, the truth right in there.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. Now, talking about um, the book and and a standalone novel, and previously you have written about uh, incorporated elements of uh, Hindu mythology in your book that you learned from your father's side. Here you're dipping into some Filipino mythology and folklore. Was that something you, you, uh, you reviewed, you researched? Was there some of that that was part of your childhood that you've kept with you?
1: Yeah, so my father is from India, but my mother is Filipino. And so I grew up with both of these beautiful, vast story traditions surrounding our childhood. Um, the thing that made this book so special to write, you know, I've, I've written almost a dozen novels beforehand, but this is my first one that deals specifically and exclusively with Filipino mythology and Filipino folklore. And the reason why it was so, it took me so long to write this novel is in large part because of colonialism. Um, When the British Raj was in India, a lot of those ancient Sanskrit epics were translated and preserved. Versus, And, you know, a lot of people were still allowed to practice their religion. Hinduism is still a major world religion. Sure. Versus when we consider how the Spaniards dominated the Philippines for almost 400 years, Their native practices were stamped out. Language was stamped out. Their spiritual practices were driven out of communities. And that's why the Philippines is one of the biggest Catholic countries in the world. Um, And that sort of forced conversion had a very interesting effect and depressing effect, honestly, on its Filipino, native Filipino mythology and folklore in the sense that what has survived, even though I may know the names of the people, of the deities and the Filipino pantheons, I don't know their stories the way I do with Hindi mythology. And a lot of that just has to do with how things were preserved, what stories were allowed to be told. And I think that's why in the Philippines in particular, what has survived the most are ghost stories. It's tales of monsters. And when you look at it from a high level, it's kind of about how there's an inheritance of pain as a result of colonialism. And so for me doing this research required stepping very tenderly around these source spots in history, and doing my best to honor these voices that that didn't have the same space and breadth that uh, Hindu mythology enjoyed.
0: Now, something you said there, and that that really struck me, and you don't even consider something like that in in the colonial era, colonialism. You talked about stories that uh, that you were allowed to be told and that, you know, uh, trying to squash out, not necessarily squash out a culture, but obviously overrun by the uh, colonial powers coming in. So to think that, you know, people weren't, weren't allowed to share these stories, this wasn't going to get published. This was even frowned upon sharing. That's, that's, uh, that's devastating that you're, you're, you're wiping out how many, how many decades, how many centuries of of culture. Oh, it's,
1: it's horrifying. And yet, you know, this is the, the, this is the indifferent march of time, right? This is just simply what happened. Even when we consider history, it is oftentimes the question of who survived to do the telling, who survived these jackals to tell you what happened. And that's what makes mythology, folklore, lullabies, ghost stories, superstitions, these aren't things that are simply for children. Oftentimes, they're the pieces that have been passed down. They're They're the hard kernels of truth that get wrapped up in all different kinds of skins and that have survived so many atrocities, and maybe this is the way that they survive, by constantly transforming from truth to legend to ghost story to lullaby to fable, you know?
0: Obviously, you know, I, I think books are, are the way that we have sustained, and the books are always going to be the path to freedom, and, and cultures that that value reading are, are going to be the ones that flourish, and it's certainly a sign of, of strength, that uh, that that really that any story survive that it has to be strong enough whether it's you know told down through the ages or, or written down those are obviously you know where where the where the truth where the truth of history lies I think
1: oh ab- absolutely could not agree more
0: now when you are going into this and where, where do you come up hey my, my main character needs uh, needs a sidekick how about a, a a gecko who's kind of out for blood.
1: <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, I've got a soft spot for contradictions and yeah. monsters. I really do. And one thing that was so, so fun to write in the spirit glass was Sasso, And Sasso is what's called a companion anito. So very similar to how witches in the Western imagination have familiars like a toad or a black cat, the more powerful the babylon, which is like the character that Corazon is, a, you know, a spirit guide and a shaman, the more powerful the shaman is, the more powerful they're familiar and their companion Anito, which is the spirit of you know bodies of water, ancient trees, mountains, that sort of thing. And because Corazon's uh, powers have yet to really emerge, her companion Anito is Saso, who looks, for all intents and purposes, like a polka dotted gecko. However, when Saso looks at Saso, he sees. A rare and precious baby crocodile, the likes of which the world has never seen before. He is convinced he is an apex predator. He is out for blood. Yeah. He is ruthless. He seeks destruction. He just very, very tiny and often distracted. If you were to offer him chocolate, you know. So, <laughs> and that was just fun to write. He was—he was just this sort of frantic and unhinged energy that uh, is always uh, maybe disturbingly easy to tap into as an artist.
0: <laughs> well, it's kind of nice because there's a, a little part of it in all of us, and that's kind of a nice way to write about that through a through a charming character. I think.
1: Oh, well, I'm I'm glad you think so.
0: I mean, why not? you know it, it you know everybody has their you know their their sidekick companion you've had dogs you've got cats you had a monkey but uh, but a bloodthirsty gecko i mean you you <laughs> there there's an animated series right there there there's a, a stuffy that i would be happy to to gift to someone
1: wow Well, see i love that from your lips to god's ears let's, <laughs> let's cross some fingers for it
0: <laughs> all right sure I, I i'm sure you've got your own marketing department working with uh, working with rick and working with disney but you know if you need ideas i'm always here
1: I appreciate
0: it now being a, a standalone obviously doesn't rule out that you could certainly revisit these characters is your next project do you want to continue a series obviously i think this is going to be a huge success this is certainly something you could uh visit you could pick up like one day after after this book leaves off
1: oh yeah i mean you know the thing is it, it was such an emotional story to write yeah that i i think anyways i've said everything i needed to say about it I of course deeply want to engage more with Filipino folklore and mythology, but maybe not through these characters. Yeah. You know, I've, I've put them through enough.
0: <laughs> and that's something you know the the average reader like I I wouldn't know anything. We we have mythology, and I just think it's great. We have a new generation of of writers that I am learning more about uh, Asian mythology and African because you know growing up in, in in school in the suburbs those aren't the the stories you learn about you learn about uh, Greek and and Roman and then uh, that's pretty much it.
1: Yeah. But you know what, what's always been so heartwarming to me is the fact that no matter where you are in the globe we are often telling the same stories over and over again. Right. Um, like there's this example in Filipino folklore, the tale of a sky maiden. There's this beautiful woman and she wears this magical flying dress. And if you are to catch her without, um, like let's say she's swimming or whatever, if someone takes her dress, they can keep her as a bride. And this is a very, very similar concept to something as distant as Scottish folklore with the tale of the Selkies, these beautiful seal woman. If you see the seal woman's skin lying As it's on a rock or something, and you take it, you can make this otherworldly woman your wife. And should she find her seal skin, or should the sky, the Filipino sky maiden find her otherworldly dress, then they leave their human family behind. These are so similar, and yet you could not imagine something more at odds than the Philippines and Scotland. But to me, it's speaking to the sense that we're telling the same stories. And it's, it's what unifies us as humans.
0: It just makes me think that uh, here is a clear example that uh, men were the only storytellers that got published for a long time because they all seem to have women as some sort of object at some point in the story.
1: <laughs> that is an annoying thing, and it's certainly true. But I would also argue that it's the way that we are constantly retelling these things. Like, sure. sure. Maybe you're right. A guy told this story, but... If you hear it, if a woman is telling you the story, there's a warning in it, right? You got to keep what's close to you close. You oh, true. Watch out.
0: <laughs> I love that, and um, we'll check it out. The brand new book you're going to love it. It is uh, the Spirit Glass, part of the Rick Riordan Presents series. It is now available where books are sold. The author is my guest, uh, Rashni Chakshi, and thank you so much for joining me today. This was so much fun.
1: This was a blast. Thank you so much for having me.